0: pep, pep, blah, 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 blah. Hello, and welcome to See One, Do One, Teach One, the podcast dedicated to becoming a better medical educator. With me, Pick Mukherjee,
1: and Tom Pereira. So this is the one about procedures, where Pick turns spinal taps up to 11. So, Pick, I find one of the most stressful times teaching in the emergency department is when I have to teach
0: procedures. But doesn't everyone love procedures and the residents are always hunting them? Oh, oh, I
1: love them. Uh, but when it comes to allowing residents to do it, uh, I definitely get a little nervous. So I, I can't begin to tell you how many times I'm, I'm sitting there uh, in the old days doing a blind insertion of a central line and... The resident is this very long needle, stabbed at the neck, aiming right toward the lung, and the only question really was, which is going to come out first? Blood? Success.
0: Or air? Not so much success. So when you put it like that, that sounds daunting, uh, certainly for the resident with you over their shoulder. For the record, uh, the people in our era who trained before Ultrasound, we don't do blind procedures, we prefer the phrase classically trained. I
2: don't know, I must
0: be a little weird. I always think that I am more stressed about wondering what weird history the resident's taken from the vague, dizzy, 90-year-old patient and how much I'm trusting them to not check than I am about the two that I you know, actually saw go in. Yeah, for me it's
1: about procedures. And I, I definitely, with each procedure and each resident, have to assess them for how much knowledge they have. I, I have to figure out how much autonomy I want
0: to give in every single case. And basically, we just ask them, so how do you feel? you okay with this procedure? Right, and, and you want that number, right? How many of those procedures have you done? And what do they tell you? How do you uh, interpret the number? No- What's the number they tell you?
1: Well, whatever number they tell you, uh, they've converted from Fahrenheit to Celsius. They've doubled it and added 30, uh, and, and that's the number they give you. I call it the uh, inverse alcohol
0: law. The uh, number of beers gets doubled, the number of procedures gets halved. Perfect.
1: So once you've assessed whether uh, a resident should be autonomous or not, uh, where do you go from there?
0: So then you try to at least make sure that you both have a shared idea of what they're going to do, and usually you ask them to walk you through the procedure. Okay, Uh, so what do you do
1: if you you and the resident both kind of agree that they don't have enough experience to do a
0: procedure? Where do you start this teaching? Someone's got to have a first time, and it might be a procedure that this is just not an appropriate first one. And in that case, uh, the resident is already wide-eyed and shaking and can't do it, and the procedure does need to be done in a timely manner. I will do the procedure, but I will then say, uh, you are going to watch me. And rather than just say, come in the room while I do this, uh, you have to do it as a directed observation. We have to talk through the procedure. So they know what they are looking for, not just, I saw you put it in, but pay attention to how I do this specific thing. So before
1: the procedure, walk through step-by-step what you're going to do, and then do the procedure in front
0: of them, and then afterwards quiz them on what they saw. And you have already pre-tested them with the things they should be paying attention to. So they have kind of this uh, greater idea of all the steps that you're going to do. So I like I like the providing scaffolding
1: to work off of. I think that's great. I have certainly uh, worked around trying to give people scaffolding when anything is new. Uh, I, I once tried with my own children uh, when they were taking an econ class to uh, make them watch a, a two-hour video on everything that they were going to learn that semester, hoping that it would help them get a better idea of uh, what the entire course was like and help them sort of build their knowledge off it. And that is why your kid chose that really far away college? Yes, uh, they get as far away from me as possible, uh, and it works well that way. Uh, actually, so in this age of foam uh, med and videos, the, the classic C1, Do 1, Teach 1, which uh, is the name of our podcast, it has changed a bit,
0: right? So, so now the C1
1: often is an online
0: video of a procedure. Yes, and it's actually great because now the first one you see isn't a weird anatomic variation. Uh, when you go wrong with the C1, you can't tell yourself it's because it was a strange patient in the one in a million. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, and it's easily available. You actually cut down the time it takes to get to the do one. So so C one uh, with the idea that just-in-time
1: teaching, the, the watching the video right before you do the procedure. In my day, I would go and run and read the section of Roberts and Hedges right before the procedure, and now they're doing
0: this instead. And it's much, much better than what we used to do, where you would say, is this little blue mark someone's pen, or is this supposed to be the piece of the dilator that's going in there? I'm not sure.
1: I actually, have, along the lines of
0: scaffolding, have a way that people can learn, well, first It's been suggested that you watch the video basically with the sound off. And then with the sound off, you are seeing all the steps without getting sort of in the weeds of exactly uh, what's going on and all the nuances of the movement.
1: So I actually like to turn the sound off and set the video on double speed. And it basically just
0: gets you understanding the flow of the procedure. If you had let your kids watch the two-hour video at double speed, maybe they wouldn't have gone so far away. They'd Uh, still be talking to me. So after you watch the video at double speed with the sound off, and you have an
1: idea where everything is coming and going, then you go back and watch the full video with the narration without
0: having taken so much time that it's not doable in the clinical setting. That's great. Now you're filling in the gaps, and you're actually getting a breakdown of what the procedure is going to be.
1: Yeah, I think those breakdown is really important. It basically is breaking it into all the steps
0: that you're going to need, the micro skills. So micro skills is a great phrase. I'm I'm glad you used it. We all sometimes unconsciously break the procedure down because when we verbalize the procedure, the steps we're going through are what we consider the the core elements, the micro skills. And if you don't have that mental model, it's sometimes hard while you're watching uh, the trainee do it to figure out exactly where they went wrong. It's hard to chunk it into this is the bit you need to work on. So these pieces are important for the teaching? Sometimes you have to get very uh, granular in the breakdown. Uh, There's a story that uh, Gary Klein, who's a big uh, cognition guy, tells about an Air Force, uh, sorry, Navy pilot who was doing training landing on an aircraft carrier. Uh, Top of his class, no problems, last day, uh, land in a plane, and the traffic, their, their control keeps waving off. You're coming in wide. You're coming in wide. And finally, they let him go to a, a much wider landing strip. And he puts the plane down. And they say, listen, uh, you've been a, a great pilot so far. But if you can't do this last thing, you can't graduate. So you, know, you got tomorrow. Tomorrow, you got to come and you got to put it down. Uh, and if you can't do it, though, then, then it's over. And the guy's pretty despondent. And his buddies are you know, telling him, hey, listen, buckle down, get some rest, study up, read more. Right? That's the great thing. Uh, and uh, one of the CEOs comes and says, hey, let's tell me what happened, and he's kind of like, go away, but uh, he says, no, 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 tell me what happened, how do you do it, and he goes through the steps, he's, he does, He's listen, I've done this so many times, uh, I, I come in at this speed, I come in at this altitude, I make sure that I'm this far off the port valve, I always line up this part of my instrument panel with that edge of the wing, and then the guy goes, wait, what plane were you flying when you were doing all those? Oh, you, you were flying a, a single seat with the navigator behind you, and now you're flying a, side-by-side side seat in the front cockpit and he's like yeah but that's gonna you know make that move by three inches yeah well three inches on a in a, in a plane approaching a, ca- a, a carrier at this distance translates into about six to eight feet and that's the amount you are off every time and the guy goes oh my god i get it and the next day he comes out and he does it six times in a row perfectly so i think that that's so important the granularity you're talking
1: about being able to walk it through step by step it's it's definitely one of the ways to try to avoid Uh, the curse of knowledge, the idea that that you as a teacher know certain steps where you've seen multiple learners have problems and you you spend all your time teaching them how to do those micro skills, but you forget all of the pre steps. And if if someone doesn't put their gloves on right, doesn't set up the sterile field right, doesn't uh, grab the syringe that they need for the
0: procedure, then all of your preparation falls apart. Absolutely. And that's another reason why that uh, direct observation is so important. Actually being able to watch it in real time uh, lets you figure out the problem. And the problem may be in a place that you're not used to seeing it because uh, you're an expert and you, you, that to you is, is like breathing. Uh, you can't imagine someone would fall down there.
1: Uh, next, we're gonna uh, bring on uh, Katie Labatt, uh to tell her story. Hi, my name is Katie.
2: I'm a PGY-1 emergency medicine resident. Um, I had a procedure that didn't go as planned. Um, during one of my shifts in the emergency room, we had a patient with metastatic breast cancer with large volume abdominal ascites who had had numerous therapeutic paracentesis done in the past um, for which she was presented to the emergency room for another therapeutic paracentesis. So I had done paracentesis before for diagnostic purposes. Uh, all had gone fine without complication. I was comfortable with the procedure itself of a diagnostic paracentesis but not necessarily a therapeutic paracentesis. I hadn't seen it done much in the emergency room. At the time my attending was busy and didn't really have too much time to be in the room and walk me through the procedure step by step and so I eventually ended up uh, with my senior resident who had done multiple before Um, but when we got into the room we found the best pocket on the patient, examined the patient um, and the kit was a little bit different than both of us were used to but particularly me. Um, We ended up putting a needle into the abdomen, catheterizing it, um, and attaching it to suction, and we only ended up getting about one liter out. The patient was very upset about this because she always gets out five liters, Um, and she said that there must have been something wrong with the procedure. She also noticed a little bit of blood coming out at the end, uh, which I know now is something that can happen with the procedure, but at the time I didn't really know how to address it with the patient because it's not something that I was used to or something I had seen before. So the patient was very upset, said that, you know, didn't really know what we were doing, and it was hard to kind of navigate that, although I had had a conversation with the patient about some of the risks and benefits that I was aware of before the procedure.
0: So Dr. Labatt's story uh, and experience didn't go as well as it maybe could have, even though she self-identified as needing some help uh, and not feeling comfortable with a a multi-liter paracentesis, maybe didn't get the supervision that she was expecting. Uh, Then she encountered a kit that she wasn't used to, which compounded the problem uh, and uh, didn't have someone to take her through the uh, maybe changes in the kit. And finally, Ended up with a complication, was surprised to see blood in the tube, uh, and an angry patient.
1: Yeah, it was a a perfect storm of sort of how it should not go. Uh, And I think this is a good transition uh, into our article of the month. Uh, This week's article is the practical application of educational theory for learning technical skills in emergency medicine by Andrew Davis et al. Uh, it is in the September edition of Annals of Emergency Medicine in 2017.
0: That is a very long title for procedural teaching.
1: It, it is, it would take about that long to teach some procedures.
0: So what are they? What would uh, Andrew et and al. advise us? So
1: it, it basically breaks down into steps how to teach procedures with, with enough pieces to it that I think it really could help us. So the micro skills of teaching procedures, if you will, as, as micro skills of teaching micro skills, that is perfect. So starts with step one, cons- They're calling it conceptualization. It's basically know what procedure you want to do when you want to do it, uh, what complications you're going to run into, which would have helped Dr. Labatt right off the bat.
0: Great. So that's kind of a, uh, a beginning background knowledge. Uh, why are we doing this? And then the next thing is visualization. You mean C1 of C1 Do One Teach One, the name of our podcast? Visualization one doesn't sound as good. Uh, the procedure uh, performed by an expert, as you were saying, Tom, these days you could probably pull up a YouTube video and find a pretty high quality uh, shared visualization.
1: Right. So visualization actually has become really easy, although I still say that taking the time to draw still helps people uh, because there's something about a drawing that really helps with framework and conceptualization. So I think that's worthwhile. Uh, step three, as we move on, is verbalization. And I don't think I do this enough. I, I ask questions about what, they, uh, about what they know about the procedures, but I often don't have them walk through it step by step. Uh, which which I think can be really helpful because in terms of what you were talking about earlier, spotting errors
0: before they even happen, I think verbalization can be fantastic. I, I agree. I think verbalization is great. Uh, it was interesting that the article talked about the expert first narrating the steps and then having the learner follow them, and I kind of was questioning if that was the right order to do that in.
1: Uh, Any order, one of them. If we do it, that's a good start. Uh, Fourth is basically uh, doing the procedure with them. Uh, And that can be uh, what you had spoken about earlier, where you're doing the procedure and they're watching. But more likely, it's going to be them doing the procedure with your providing real-time feedback in a way that, even in front of the patient, they can adjust their technique and what they're doing to make it go better. And that, so I think feedback and guided practice, which are actually steps four and five here, are together in this one.
0: And then they then come up with skill mastery, which is uh, being able to perform the skill, but in a simulated scenario. Do I need to perform the skill in a simulated scenario? <laughs> I think if
1: you did it on a patient, it doesn't mean you're a master. But I, I do think that that mastery happens over time. And whether it's repeated practice on patients or in the sim lab or in in any other thing i think it's only through mastery that we reach what they're calling step seven uh, which is autonomy comfortably doing the procedure on their own Uh, again uh, the article for those of you uh, who wanted to know a practical application of educational theory for learning technical skills in the emergency department gives a nice framework for teaching procedures great
0: So what's today's, that's not a thing. Well, I was told that when you have a patient that you put a catheter in to relieve urinary tension, you should really clamp that Foley catheter. It was a good thing, especially if there's a lot, a lot of water coming out of it.
1: I, I do remember that. I remember uh, being told that after a liter came out, that you had to put a clamp on it or else, I, I think it had something to do with bleeding, uh, and that it definitely would
0: cause bleeding. And then the, there was always the worry of the post-obstructive diuresis. And that's the uh, kidney now just peas and peas and peas and peas. So, of course, if you clamp the catheter, it it senses it somehow, that it would be a bad idea. It doesn't make any sense to me why that would not make that happen. And how would you know if it's not open? Uh, so that never, ever made sense to me. The bleeding thing happens? So, so neither one of those. If they've both been looked at. Uh, Neither one of them are really a thing. Uh, The
1: bleeding happens equally as much if you clamp the foley or not clamp the foley. And as far as post-obstructive diuresis, it's a reasonably rare complication of this that does happen
0: equally in both groups. And I was told, actually, that even with the uh, catheter not clamped, the bladder walls, when when it's all relieved, can actually come all the way together and bump into each other and cause bleeding. I love the visual, but that's totally ridiculous. So, no, that's not a thing. But I was told, and it was even back before there was online things, and I wasn't, uh, Wait, we were wrong before foam Med. So great, Tom, I think that brings us to the things to try. What are the things to try today? So I think this stuff comes right from the article and what we've been talking about.
1: Uh, the thing to try today is watch the video at twice speed with the
0: sound off before watching it again with the narration. Beautiful. That'll build in some nice scaffolding. And then the second thing to try would be I have to remind myself to uh, allow verbalization and let the trainee go through the entire procedure while I sit there and nod.
1: That actually sounds difficult, but probably worth trying. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. Go out there and make better doctors. Get out there and
0: make doctors better.